Well, we've entered into the uh, post-Christmas deconstruction season, haven't we? The, all the festive Christmas atmosphere that, that you created over these past weeks is going to start to come apart now. Either you'll take it apart intentionally or, or some of it will happen naturally. So about a week ago, my Christmas tree stopped drinking water and the leaves and the needles started falling enough that it's out of my house now. It's in my lane beside my house. I'm done with that tree. It's, it's falling apart. If you have a poinsettia, you have two options with your poinsettias. Either you can hold on to it and it becomes a bunch of stalks with a few red flags on the top waving their surrender. Or if you miss the snow because it's not falling, all you got to do is pick up your other poinsettia, shake it a little bit, and it might start snowing a little bit as they look worse and worse as the season goes. A couple of you already told me, yes, we've already thrown away our poinsettias. It's deconstructing in front of you, right? You, you're the wrapping paper that you, you wrap so nicely, those gifts is now, you, know, you got it so flat and so perfect, it's now balled up in a bundle in the recycle bin or it's already in the landfill somewhere, right? And all the red and green decorations through your house, give it a week or two. It'll be packed up in the box and put away, gone again. Christmas deconstruction season. But we're not going to leave Christmas quite yet here as a church. We got one more week here with us. So we need to wrap up our, our series from December with one more picture of who Jesus became. So this morning we're going to look at the birth of Jesus from from a very different perspective. It's a perspective that I, that I first heard preached on from well-known preacher Stan Mast, who we've had preached here a couple times. So credit to Stan for some of the points here this morning. See, the version of the Christmas story that we're going to look at this morning is going to look very different from the pictures of the nativity that you got on your Christmas cards. Right, those cards that are either hanging on your bulletin board at home or above your desk at work. My guess is most of those Christmas card nativity scenes are wonderfully peaceful and calm and serene. At the center is a, a pink-cheeked little baby with an angelic smile, right? And, and surrounding that baby on this bed of fresh, clean straw is this radiant, smiling mother with her hair perfect and her clothes not wrinkled, even though she just went through labor. Right? And, and, and standing next to, to beautiful Mary is, is awed and respectful Joseph, smiling down on both of them. And there's some immaculately clad wise men from the east there, even though they certainly weren't there the night of Jesus' birth. We put them there on our cards, right? And, and there were crude shepherds that showed up that, that day on our Christmas cards. They somehow knew that for this family photo they needed to dress up, so they come dressed up and clean, even though we know they were outcasts, laborers, smelly, dirty. They sure look good on the card, right? And just for fun, we put a few angels in the picture as well. And don't forget the very cute animals, right? Cows and sheep with their big black eyes, well-brushed, looking down at the baby. It's the Christmas picture that we sing about, right? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon, virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, 
sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. There's another version of the nativity story in scripture. John gives us a different picture. The apostle John, he knew this Christmas card version. He knew all the traditional characters. And yet when he wrote the book of Revelation, he described this event in a very, very different way. Take out your Bibles. Turn with me to Revelation 12. Way at the back, page 998 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Revelation 12 gives us a whole new perspective on the Christmas story. It gives us a whole new picture of who this little baby was. Instead of a soft, helpless baby, Revelation 12 tells us about a militant man-child born with his hand wrapped around a rod of iron. Instead of a, a radiant, smiling mother, Revelation 12 talks about a richly dressed giantess screaming in the pains of childbirth. Instead of a, a barn filled with, with quiet farm animals, Revelation 12 gives us a blood-red dragon filling the barn, standing directly in front of the woman, salivating that anticipation of eating her child. Instead of angels singing sweetly o'er the plains, Revelation 12 shows us a mighty warrior angel army in violent battle against the dragon. Instead of a silent night, Revelation 12 gives us a voice booming from heaven and beginning a fury-filled, earth-shaking conflict. Listen to Christmas according to Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of, great, of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Quite a picture, quite a Christmas picture. And I doubt that any of you at home, as you set up your nativity set this year, put a little red dragon in there, did you? And, and I doubt that any of the Christmas cards that you have hanging show this picture of Christmas. It'd be the Christmas card from hell, wouldn't it? Why would John give us this, this frightening, violent nativity scene? One that looks more like a horror movie than a Christmas card. You know, I don't think John is trying to be the Wes Craven or, or Alfred Hitchcock of the Bible. His goal certainly is not to scare us with, with some frightening image. Instead, this chapter brings a Christmas message that his first listeners needed to hear. And a Christmas message that you and I still need to hear today. It's a profound declaration and a profound assurance that this baby became a king. That this baby still is a king. A truth and a fact that his listeners were doubting. And that we doubt sometimes as well. Let me set the original context of this chapter for us this morning. We often forget that the book of Revelation was written as a letter to a specific people in a specific context. Right? Their, their time and their place shaped the message. When we take the book of Revelation out of that context, that's when we end up misreading this, this book that's full of, of strange and dramatic imagery. Hey, remember, this was a letter sent to a group of churches in Asia Minor, minor towards the end of the first century. They were small communities. They were struggling communities. They only made up a tiny little portion of the powerful and vast Roman Empire. And for a long time, these little tiny communities, their small numbers didn't bother them. Because they truly expected Jesus to return at any moment. Right? They believed that very soon they would see the arrival of their king to establish a worldwide kingdom. And very soon, as promised, they would take positions as rulers in that kingdom. 
But their patience was now beginning to wear thin. And they were beginning to doubt both the king and his kingdom. It had been so long since Jesus had ascended into heaven. Right? Remember at that moment, just before he ascended, he gave them the promise. He said, I am coming soon. But now it had been at least 40 years, maybe even closer to 60 years. And nothing had happened. And the more time went by, the more doubts were beginning to creep into their minds and into their hearts. They were beginning to not only wonder when Jesus would come back as king, but they were beginning to wonder if he would ever come back. Did Jesus really establish the kingdom of God? If so, where was it? Did Jesus, does Jesus really rule the nations? If so, where was the evidence? If the kingdom of God is here, and if Jesus is sitting on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords, then they were wondering why there was so much evil, why there was so much pain, why there was so much brokenness in the world and in their lives. Show us. We don't see it. And where was this authority that was supposed to be theirs? They're supposed to be ruling in this kingdom along with him. Jesus had promised them that. But instead of ruling, they were increasingly being ruled by the authorities of Rome. Instead of receiving more power from Jesus, they were receiving more persecution from the political realm. Their future was looking darker and darker and darker. And these second-generation Christians were wondering if the faith of their fathers and of their mothers was truly real, if Jesus really was king. So John writes Revelation to calm their doubts, to calm their fears, specifically to answer their very difficult and specific question. Is Jesus really king? Does Jesus really reign as king over this whole world? It's not really an unfamiliar question, is it? Their situation a long, long time ago is not that different from our situation here today. Their context is our context. Their questions are our questions. Because now it's been almost 2,000 years. And Jesus still hasn't come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is he ever going to come? Have you ever wondered that? Is he really King? Because it sure doesn't seem like it sometimes. Look around this world and you see a world that's, that's full of war, ripping apart nations and families and bodies. It sure doesn't seem like it when you see the injustice of human trafficking and racism and sexism. It sure makes you wonder when you see the greed that wallows in excess, 
while others are, are starving or walking miles each day carrying dirty water to drink or are sleeping on the streets in the cold of winter. Sure makes you wonder sometimes with the divisions today that leave us shouting at each other and hating each other instead of talking to each other and loving each other. Sure makes you wonder if Jesus is king when political systems seem to have the power to persecute religious communities and religious communities keep being co-opted by political systems. I would guess that any of us who have a thoughtful faith have wondered in the middle of the mess of this world and in the middle of the mess that is your life sometimes you've wondered where's Jesus now where, where is this king where is this kingdom in the middle of all this And God answers their question. He answers our questions by pulling aside the curtain of history and giving us a glimpse behind the scenes of history here. Revelation 12 shows us what's behind that peaceful scene depicted on our Christmas card. Shows us that there was a dragon there. Shows us that when we look at the face of this pink-cheeked, soft-skinned little baby, we're looking at the face of a king. And so, so here in Revelation 12, the first Christmas image John chooses to show us is this cosmic spiritual battle that we so often miss. He shows us the dragon's ambush in verses 1 through 6. Right, This, this blood-red dragon... Satan himself is crouched down right in front of the woman who's about to give birth. And, and his hope and his plan is to eat her child immediately at the moment of his birth. Certainly not a pretty, pretty picture, not Christmas card worthy. But the devil knew exactly what was happening at Christmas. He knew that this wasn't just any baby. He knew that Christmas was the almighty God coming into human history to start God's salvation plan. So he needed to end the life of this baby Jesus before that plan could be accomplished. That was his only hope. And this dragon does his worst. Right, Matthew 2 tells us the horrific story of King Herod dispatching his soldiers not to war he dispatches his soldiers to Bethlehem to murder babies all the babies in Bethlehem two years old and younger in his attempt in the dragon's attempt to kill this baby well, hopefully you know the story Jesus escapes to Egypt carried by Mary carried by Joseph the devil's ambush fails because he failed to see the truth behind this baby's tiny, pink, smiling face. He failed to see that this baby holds an iron scepter. That's what verse 5 tells us. It was already clenched in his hand. It's the same iron scepter that's spoken about in Psalm 2 when God points forward to the birth of his child. Psalm 2 that says, you are my son. 
Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Satan is desperate. He knew what the birth of this child meant. So panic-stricken, he tries to do the impossible. He tries to kill the man-child with the iron rod in his hand. He tried with Herod. He tried with Pilate. He tried to kill him on the cross, and it seemed like he had succeeded. But he failed even when he thought he had won. Because the risen Jesus, now born again for the second time, as he learned about on Christmas Day, is snatched up into heaven. He ascends victoriously where he is now sitting on the throne of the universe. Yes, Jesus' earthly life was a short one. He's no longer here with us. Because now he is ruling the nations from his eternal throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty with that iron rod still firmly in his grasp. The dragon's ambush failed. Not only did it fail, but it triggered his final dragon defeat. A defeat that was initiated on Christmas Day. That's what verses 7 through 12 tell us, right? Not only did he fail to keep God from entering history in the form of a baby, but he was also cast out of heaven to spend the rest of his days on earth. Verses 7 through 12 pull back the curtain and show us what was behind the peaceful nativity scene. Show us that there is a war going on that shook the foundations of heaven and earth. And that Christmas morning birth of Jesus Christ was the beginning of the decisive victory in that war. The decisive victory that was finished and completed on Easter morning when the risen Jesus walked out of that tomb alive. At that moment, there was no longer any question as to who would win the war. The victory belongs to Jesus. That is what the booming voice from heaven declares in verses 10, 11, and 12. Victory. The only question that remains is how long it would be until the final destruction of the dragon. And in this in-between time, this time between the dragon's defeat on Easter, when victory is assured, and the dragon's final destruction, this time that you and I are living in right now, this is the time of the dragon's revenge. Satan's desperate. Having been thrown out of heaven, he knows that this rod of iron, the scepter of the king, is poised to crush him once and for all at any time. So while he can, he is wreaking as much havoc as possible, realizing that there's no longer anything he can do to harm the man-child. Right? Jesus the baby is now Jesus the king, and he's out of reach. Now he does whatever he can to harm those who follow him. Those first century believers longing for Jesus' victorious return. These 21st century 
believers, you and I, longing for that same victory today. You and I in this life that we live can expect to experience the havoc of the dragon's revenge. The pain that Satan is inflicting is evidence of his anger and his defeat. If he can't devour the child, he'll do all he can to devour the church, the body of Christ on earth today. That is how we read the signs of our times. Right? The pain, the suffering that you and I experience in our spiritual battle in our lives today is not because Jesus is not king. It's not because his kingdom is absent or his kingdom is not coming. The pain and the suffering that we experience in our spiritual battle and in our lives today is evidence of Satan's desperate destruction rooted in revenge that he inflicts before the final blow is delivered to him. You and I join these first century brothers and sisters living in the already and the not yet. We have a foot in both worlds. The war has already been won, but the final battle has not been fought yet. Jesus is already king, but not everyone accepts him yet. His kingdom has already come, but not completely yet. Satan has been defeated, but he hasn't been destroyed yet. And that is a rather uncomfortable place for us to be. Revelation 12 does not end on a very encouraging note. There's no promise to these first century believers. There's no promise to an end of their persecution. There's no promise of an end to their suffering. And there's no promise for you and me that the brokenness and pain of our lives will be relieved. Revelation 12 leaves us with an angry red dragon breathing the heat of its fire into our lives. It leaves us with an angry red dragon swinging its tail, trying to harm us, trying to destroy us, trying to eat us alive. But now we can see the full picture behind that reality. Because God pulls back that curtain on Christmas, we see not only the desperate dragon wreaking his havoc, bringing his destruction, but we see it within the full context. We also see the victorious child, the powerful man-child, the reigning king of kings, holding his iron rod, towering over all of these events, and in his grace and his mercy, patiently waiting for the right moment to crush the dragon once and for all, patiently waiting for more of his children to come home first. Until then, this victorious baby and reigning king of kings cares for us his children in our spiritual battles against the dragon 
cares for us in our life here on this earth. There's no denying the chaos and confusion of life is real. There's no denying the brokenness and pain being inflicted in the world around us and in our lives that often leave us confused, angry, hurt, doubting, wondering. In our voices today, joining the chorus that the church has sang for years and years, it started with these first century believers asking, how long? How long, Jesus? What's happening to me? What's happening to us? Jesus, are you truly in control? I can't see it. I can't feel it. I don't know it. How long? And into the doubts of our pain, the voice of heaven booms. Over the roar of our doubts, it declares, as it did almost 2,000 years ago, <laughs> it says to us, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. Rejoice. Rejoice. This behind-the-scenes glimpse of history is what enables us to rejoice even in the midst of our suffering, even through our pain. Because behind the peaceful Christmas card image, we see King Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven, having won the victory with his iron scepter ready to deal the final death blow once and for all. We see the dragon, powerful and cruel, with a head that is crushed and defeated. He will not win. He does not get the victory. And we see those who have, who have stood before us staying faithful through the spiritual battle, claiming their victory, showing us what faithfulness looks like. When we pull back the curtain, we can see Jesus the King ushering in his kingdom. And he shall reign forever and ever. This baby now become our king. I want to leave you with one more image from Revelation this morning. Revelation 12 leaves us in the uncomfortable already and not yet. But if you wanted to, you could turn, your, turn forward a few pages to Revelation 19. Because in Revelation 19, John shows us the victory that's coming. The arrival of our king that's on its way. He reminds us the dragon will not last forever. Our king and his kingdom are coming. Picture this future starting at verse 11 of Revelation 19. 
I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And John tells us this king is coming. And when he comes, he defeats the dragon once and for all. When he comes, all wrongs are made right. When he comes, all hurts are healed. When he comes, all of his children are welcomed to his side. And victory is ours. Until then... Until that moment, in faith, we live in the already. Looking forward to that moment. And with hope, we anticipate the not yet. Would you pray with me? Father God, it is hard to live in this time. Because we know what the dragon can do. We felt it. We felt the dragon kindle doubts in our minds and in our hearts. We felt the dragon try and pull away our children and our grandchildren from you and from your truth. We felt the dragon inflict physical pain and brokenness into our lives, into our families. We felt his worst as we said goodbye to people we love way too young. We felt him inflict the physical pain with the words cancer and SMA and fibromyalgia and whatever other name he gave it. We look out and we see death, warfare, hatred, abuse, anger, greed, and it hurts. Father, thank you that in the midst of our doubts and our wonderings, because that's just part of faith, Thank you that in the midst of our doubts and our wonderings, you pull back the curtain and you remind us of how the story ends. You remind us that, that you, Jesus, are sitting on your throne right now. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You have won the victory. 
And you remind us that the day is coming when this war will be ended once and for all. When the dragon will be defeated and all the earth will see you, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords. All the earth will hear the trumpet sound. All the earth will see you riding in your white horse with the army of heaven behind you. Keep us ready for that day, Lord Jesus. May we hold on to that hope and may that carry us through the challenges of this life. We look forward to sharing that victory when you return. Give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.